Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I am going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. In this episode, number 317, I have the privilege of welcoming on the show, Carrie Irvin. When a parents come to me, a lot of times all they've heard about dyslexia is this child's not going to be able to read, this child is not smart, this child's going to struggle in school, he's going to be in a special education program, he's going to be singled out, he's not going to fit in. And that is not the life experience for me with dyslexic students. My students are thriving, but they are receiving the kind of instruction they need in order to thrive. And that is the key to this whole problem of dyslexia, is making sure that students have access to what science and the education field has taught us about addressing the needs of a dyslexic student and helping them to show what they can do. Carrie Irvin is a licensed dyslexia therapist, a certified academic language therapist, an educator, and today she's here to encourage you. Whether you are walking through the diagnosis of dyslexia for one of your children or walking through it with a friend, that we can learn a little bit more about what dyslexia is and the hope that Carrie will provide in her over 30 years of experience in walking alongside families who have children with dyslexia. I think I was encouraged to remember that each of our children are unique and they have their own learning style. And as parents, we have the privilege to empower them, to advocate for them, to learn, to provide the right people that are equipped in training, to give them the access to their brains that help them learn best and that there is hope that long-term the kids who have walked through a diagnosis of dyslexia can be men and women of character who are fully living out God's plans that he has purposed for them in advance. And so I can't wait for you to listen. Let's get right to it. Here we go. Carrie, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Thank you, Heather. I'm so happy to be here. Well, this is a topic I have not covered in 300 episodes. And it's kind of like, why have I not covered this topic? I have so many mom friends who are walking through uh, the the diagnosis of dyslexia and helping their child. And I'm sure that's multiplied across the globe with moms and they would love to hear from you. You have been doing this for a long time. And so tell everyone a little bit about yourself, your background, and then we'll get right into what is dyslexia. Well. I am immersed in dyslexia (laughs) on a daily basis. I uh, started my career in education as a teacher, and I quickly discovered that there was a lot more to teaching than I had learned in my education classes in college. And one of those things was the importance of your students being able to read, no matter what discipline you were teaching. I was a science teacher, and I had students who struggled with reading, and they were excellent students. They were some of the brightest and most creative students in my class, and yet they failed my test and they would not be able to read the textbook and tell me what they had read. These were middle school students, and I was a learner, and I began to investigate, and I discovered that these students were working with a therapist 
for a specific learning disability called dyslexia. And her words to me were, you need to go get trained. And she was right. And so I did begin training as an academic language therapist and dyslexia therapist, not to become a reading teacher and not to move out of my work as a science teacher, but to improve my science teaching. And it did improve my science teaching. It improved all my teaching and it changed my life. Hmm. And I began working with students who were dyslexic in the afternoons after school and in the summers when school was not in session. I was associated with the Nye House Education Center in Houston. It is one of the top centers for training dyslexia therapists internationally and nationally. It has a worldwide reputation. I trained under some of the best professionals in dyslexia at time. They were all students of Aylett Cox, and we may mention her later. She is a, was a pioneer in the field of dyslexia education. And over time, as I worked with them, I began to uh, not only learn from them, but to teach with them and to train academic language therapists at that center. I moved to Dallas uh, several years ago, and I went back into the classroom, but I went back into the classroom that was designed for the dyslexic student at a private school that serves the needs of students with specific learning differences and began doing therapy again in the afternoons with students in the public schools and other private schools in the Dallas area. And then eventually moved back into one of the learning you know, teaching centers for the therapist. And so now I mentor therapist and I teach privately dyslexia students during the summer and during the school year. And then I work with parents and counseling parents and providing support in the field of dyslexia. So you've been doing this a while, 20 years. A long time. Um, I, I'm not, I didn't count up the exact number of years <laughs> because that reflects on my age. But <laughs> Yes, it's been 30 years, I guess. Uh, it's been a long road. It's been a, a great road, but it's been a long road. So how would you, with all of that, and I'm sure this is going to be challenging when you know so much about dyslexia, for a mom who's heard that word, what would be a definition you would use for what dyslexia is? Well, the official def definition of dyslexia is that it's a neurologically based learning disability that causes difficulties with reading and spelling and using language in general. That's a good definition, of course. It's the, it's the definition for dyslexia. But when I talk about dyslexia with parents in less specific terms, in layman's terms, uh, in the way that it's going to impact their child and their family, I talk about it as a learning difference that their child manifests that is going to impact how they learn and the tools that they need in order to be successful in school, but also a condition that's going to provide them 
some wonderful gifts and teach them to work hard and to persist and to value learning in a special way. Hmm. I am excited when my new children come to me. I'm excited to get to know another dyslexic student. And it amazes me the gifts that God provides for all children alongside their challenges. For every challenge a child has, they have equally important, if not more significant gifts that have been provided. And their challenges without fail Mm. are gifts that support them with their talents and make them better Hmm. as learners and as people. The students that I've taken all the way through dyslexia, and I've had students I've started with when they were very young and worked with until middle school. I've had students I worked with in middle school and still know them, and they're at college, learn to be very successful, learn to embrace their dyslexia, to accept the challenges that it presents to them and to understand that they're developing strong character and precious values as a result of this learning difference. And three-dimensional aspects of the thinking that it promotes help them to shine among their peers. And invariably, my students are able to recognize that over time. Hmm. And the parents are able to begin to see dyslexia that way. When parents come to me, a lot of times all they've heard about dyslexia is this child's not going to be able to read. This child is not smart. This child's going to struggle in school. He's going to be in a special education program. He's going to be singled out. He's not going to fit in. And that is not the life experience for me with dyslexic students. My students are thriving, but they are receiving the kind of instruction they need in order to thrive. And that is the key to this whole problem of dyslexia is making sure that students have access to what science and the education field has taught us about addressing the needs of a dyslexic student and helping them to show what they can do. We've always known that dyslexia is not tied to intelligence. Children with dyslexia are not, do not universally have a low IQ or universally they're not genius. And that's another misconception sometimes that, oh, they're all genius. Those are kind of myths. They're kind of exaggerations yeah. that perpetuate um, among people who are not informed. But we do know there's no impact on their intelligence. They can do, learn as well as any student. They're not disabled for learning, but they do need to be taught in a way that promotes their strong learning channels. Hmm. And actually, we should be teaching all children in a way that promotes their strong learning channels because every child has a learning profile that is unique to that child. And so what's happening now, more and more, not enough yet, but more and more is that Schools and teachers are learning that the teacher is not teaching a subject. Teacher is teaching a learner a subject. And 
the teacher needs to know how to teach first and foremost. Hmm. And then she can convey a subject to the child. If you know your subject in and out, if you're an expert in your field, but you don't know how students learn and you don't know how to teach them, then they're going to struggle with your subject. And the challenge becomes when you have a classroom of 26 different learners. Yeah. And it's, imagine the challenge for teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with Zoom. Yeah. You've got a Zoom, you've got tiny little windows and you have 26 different kinds of learners. Yeah. Right. And this has been a challenge in the educational system for colleges that are training teachers. Mm. You know, for years, our colleges have been exceptional at training teachers in their subject matter. But what we realize now is, wait a minute, we've got to teach them how to teach anything. And then they'll be able to teach their subject matter well. I'm super thankful I can bring you this content thanks to sponsors like Function of Beauty. And what I love about Function of Beauty is just kind of like what Carrie's talking about, how we have different learning styles and we're each made uniquely. It's the same, which is true with our hair. And what Function of Beauty does is they have a super thorough quiz that you can take and you can tell them about your specific hair type across all ethnicities. You can take this quiz and then you can say what your goals are, what you would like for your hair to do to just maximize the beauty that God gave you. And I know with changes in season, maybe you'll be heading to the pool soon. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe you'll want a beauty product to help you with that. So you put in all that info, your hair type, your goals. And then this is what I think is a fun part, my creative side. You get to choose your color, your fragrance, or you can go fragrance and dye free. And then you get your little name on the side or whatever name you want. You could put cutie on it. Just remind yourself, um, every ingredient is vegan and cruelty-free. They never use sulfates or parabens. You can even go completely silicon-free. So never buy off the shelf again just to be disappointed. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash DMA for Don't Mom Alone. Take that quiz and then save 20% off your first order. And that even applies to their full range of customized hair, skin, and body products. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash DMA let them know that I sent you and get 20% off your order. Functionofbeauty.com slash DMA. So let's talk about for the mom who maybe has a child, maybe below first grade, whose their child has interacted some with printed material and is wondering like what age do children typically get diagnosed and then following along with that, um, are there signs that you can look for that a child is going to struggle in this specific way before they get to like, you know, a first or second grade reading? Right. There are signs that you can look for. And there's lots of lists in the literature that talk about what pre-reading skills a student needs when they begin school. And those pre-reading skills have changed over time. We expect a lot more of our children now than we did when I started school. Okay. As far as abilities when they get to kindergarten, our students, most schools have students reading in kindergarten. And that works for a lot of students. And that presents 
a real challenge for other students who have learning differences, have learning disabilities, or are not maturity-wise, mm-hmm. are not ready to take that step. If a child has delayed speech, that can be an indication that the language is going to be challenging for them. And it is one of the, one of the many signs that can be linked to a possible diagnosis of dyslexia. If they don't exhibit wordplay skills, like the ability to rhyme, if they have trouble sequencing letters, if they have trouble recognizing uh, block letters and print letters, if they don't begin showing an interest in books and how books operate, small children will know that this book opens somehow mm-hmm. and at a very, you know, before they can do anything else, they'll try to open their book. They'll look at the pictures. The, may, the book may be upside down. They may not be able to talk, but they'll be making sounds Yeah, because they know that that's what their parents do when they're holding this object. But uh, other students will not make those connections with books and with language Uh, Some students do not participate in language play. Uh, Their nursery rhymes are hard for them. Remembering poems and things like that are challenging for them. Those can be early signs. We're talking about signs before the student is being asked to write. Well, when a student starts writing, uh, the child can show delays in making a connection between letters and the fact that they make sounds and can form words. There's a lot of different things you you can watch for. The good news, there's really good news in this area as far as research goes, in my opinion. The good news is for years, we would not diagnose students with having dyslexia until second and third grade, sometimes fourth and fifth grade, the teachers wouldn't recognize that there was a problem. Uh, Many of these students are are very bright and they cover their difficulties when they recognize that they can't do things the way other students do. So they pretend and they hide their challenges very effectively and they adopt their own way of compensating for their challenge. I've had students who have told me, well, I used to sit by this student who lip read. Hmm. So I could hear them read when we had to read on our own because I couldn't read the material myself with but other students that they just took the books home, told mom, I need you to read this to me. Hmm. And so they were behind a day, but they were very motivated and very interested in the learning and wanting to compensate and stay up with the learning. And the teachers would not realize that they were having difficulty. So for years, we were not diagnosing these students early and we were not catching them at an opportune time to provide the, the instruction that they need in order to be successful with language. But in the past few years, we had the professionals in the dyslexia field have developed some great screens that can be used in kindergarten to 
sort through wide populations of children, because we're talking about every child who goes to school needs to be screened. And so these screens, they're not a complete educational testing battery. They're just a quick screen that teachers can administer to look for red flags for the child. And when they see those, then they respond to their screening by teaching to intervene. And then they monitor this response to intervention that the child uh, shows to determine whether the children should go on and receive full and full educational battery of testing. And so the schools are still needing to provide testing and all public schools are required by law in Texas to test children who indicate that they're at risk for dyslexia by the work they present in school mm-hmm. and schools are intervening early with a lot of these students and preventing some students from needing to have further evaluation and testing because they've provided the proper teaching skills early on kindergarten immediately when the child comes to school. Now that doesn't, it's not happening as well as it should, but it's the step in that direction of providing what these students need. Public schools um, service a large population. They do very well and they struggle. They're going to be both ways in the schools. It's the same way with private schools, except private schools charge their parents in general for the services they provide. And there's a little more pressure on them to be consistently adequate or do do it well. Yeah. Um, A lot of parents, they live in a public school district. They may choose to use a private diagnostician if they have met with the teachers of their school and feel like the student needs more testing. If they disagree with the teachers, they can request that a child be reevaluated and have a meeting with the public school and insist that they look carefully to make sure this child does not need diagnostic testing. Or sometimes parents will go outside and get private diagnosticians to evaluate their students uh, rather than trust the public schools to provide this. And I think that there are some wonderful diagnosticians and wonderful professionals in our public schools. Uh, I meet and work with them all the time. There are also some that that have to conform to biases within the district, and that's just a fact of life, but that's anything in life. We're human, and that happens. And that's why our parents have to really be involved, really monitor and advocate for their children and learn about dyslexia and take an active role in making sure that their students' needs are met. And several of the moms who reached out and asked questions, I get a sense, um, one, you and I talked about this, that they're sorting through the shame and the guilt associated with anytime our child has anything diagnosed. That word is a really heavy word. And you had already said it's a difference. There's opportunity. There's 
ability for these children to have such character and love learning. And there is all of that. But I think as moms, we often, we don't want our children to struggle. We take ownership in places that may, aren't ours to take. And so there were some moms who said, is this something I should tell my child that they have? Like, a, And is this, when my child is diagnosed, do I tell like a gym coach or other teachers and people that are in their life and so I'd love to hear you kind of chime in on that. Well, that is a a parent's decision. Yeah, I don't I don't take that from the parents, and I respect that that is a parent's decision. I have had parents who requested that I work with their students and not reveal to the child that the child has dyslexia, and I've had to decline. I will reveal it, be- not even intentionally. I will talk about it with the child because it's so important that they understand that I learn in a different way than some of my peers. And it's not in a way that all teachers understand. And so sometimes I have difficulty in school because my teacher's not familiar with my learning style. And so they lift that blame from themselves. Now, this is a child can and can accept that it's not their fault that they struggle in school, which is, uh, we can talk about it later, but esteem issues are really critical for these students, especially as they approach junior high and high school. So the child needs to know that I learn in a unique way and I can learn anything that my teacher's teaching, but sometimes I may need for my teacher to give me some extra help, or I may need someone else who understands how I learn to help me learn it. So I think it's important for parents to tell their children that they have dyslexia. And when they do, I think they need to frame it as a unique feature of that child, a unique characteristic of that child that is exists in the child alongside his other unique features, his ability to play ball, his ability to be a good friend, his love for art, his enthusiasm for, for sports or for games. All of, of the children have a wide variety of gifts and talents, and we talk to them about them all the time. We congratulate them when, we, when they do well. We bring in stories that we hear about topics they're interested in. We share them with them. And having dyslexia is just another aspect of that child's profile. And his friend may not have dyslexia, in his profile, but he has something else in his profile that is different. And it may be a characteristic that is challenging because we all have challenges, but God created us with challenges for a reason. Uh, We learn from our challenges. We learn good character traits. We learn perseverance. We learn to look at others with uh, compassion and understand that when others struggle. The school I worked at in Dallas that was all students who had a diagnosed learning disability uh, was the only school I've ever worked at that was totally designed for students with learning disabilities. And 
I was visiting with someone about that school at one time and they asked me what was, was there anything I liked about the school? It immediately came to my mind. I didn't have to think about it. The students in that school were exceptionally kind and loving. Hmm. And accept, they accepted each other. They celebrated their gifts. And they didn't look down on each other for their struggles. They helped each other. Hmm. And that was universal, really, in that population. Of course, that's a tribute to this, the school administration and the teachers as well, that they were fostering that in the students. But I don't think that that was the sole source of that for those children. Those children were experiencing insecurities from their learning differences on a day-to-day basis, and they felt safe with their classmates. Hmm. And that was huge. All students have a learning profile. I may have squealed when I saw that Rothy's was going to be a sponsor of this podcast. I have been eyeing their products for a really long time. I don't know if you've ever gone to the Rothy's site, but they have adorable shoes, bags, and masks. And what's even better than how cute they are, because they're real cute if I haven't mentioned that, is that they're crafted with eco-friendly materials like repurposed plastic water bottles, marine plastic. They have kids' shoes that you can throw in the washing machine. You just take the insert out and you can put them in the washing machine. They sent me a pair and I can attest that they are super comfortable. And I was going on a trip and they're really easy to pack. I ordered the flats with the point. It's called the point in the wildcat pattern because I'm not giving up animal print just yet. To me, that's the perfect neutral still. I'm holding on to it. Gen Z, you can tell me whatever you want. And I love the little pop of blue on the back. It's so cute. If you want to go check out their amazing shoes, bags, masks available right now at rothys.com slash D-M-A. That's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash D-M-A. It's style and sustainability that meet to create your new favorites. So head over to rothys.com slash D-M-A today. I love that you've said that. I think that's so helpful for moms because if we remove the guilt and shame, then we don't transfer that to our child and it's how we're phrasing it. And I think that's really, really helpful for the mom who's just received a diagnosis for her child, for the mom whose friend just received a diagnosis, like how that friend can talk to her kids. I mean, it's we're creating a culture that's like that, that we can all just come alongside each other and say, we are in this together. We all have a different way of learning. We all have different struggles and let's be for each other. And that shame has no place. I would love to hear, um, there's a lot of questions about how to help. How do we help? How do teachers help? How do parents help? What's the best way you're talking about these students have a need to be taught any unique way. What is that unique way? Well, teachers need training. Okay. Training by who? Do you know, like, I know we're going to put a lot of links in the show notes, but you could just, is there a specific training program you recommend? Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) I will provide you with links, but let me say this. We need better educational training programs. We also need ongoing 
professional development for these teachers is so important because this is an old field. We've known about dyslexia for a long, long time. And a lot of the things we know about dyslexia amazingly have not changed over the past 100 years. It's, it's, mm. It fascinates me that Samuel Orton and Anna Gillingham were as on target with what they were revealing about dyslexia all those years ago. But what we have now is we have new technology. We have MRIs and we have neurologists who are going in and looking at the brain and their research is opening new doors in this field so that we're understanding the diagnosis and the therapy that is required to help these students in new ways. Dyslexia remediation is therapy, and it is a retraining of the brain. And that's uh, information that a lot of people don't recognize. It's not just taking what the teacher does in the traditional classroom and doing it slower. Hmm. It's not using the same techniques. Uh, Dyslexic students' brain works fine, but it works different. And it accesses different areas for reading. And the teacher in the traditional classroom is not teaching to those parts of the brain effectively. What parts of the brain are different? Well, and now you're wanting a neurologist. (laughs) But I mean, I'm trying to picture like I'm a teacher. So is this something you're doing in therapy? You're accessing those different areas of the brain because you've been trained in it? It has a lot to do with making sure that every time you teach something, you access muscle memory as well as visual memory and auditory memory, that you use those learning channels. Mm -hmm. You're accessing all parts of the brain when you're talking about those different modalities. And what they've shown, and again, I am not a neurologist, so I get very <laughs> nervous when I start talking in this area that I will. No, don't worry. We're just, we're, we're just moms hanging out. The, what they have discovered is they've done MRIs with children in different learning situations, and they've watched what areas of the brain are activated. And for reading, different areas of the brain are activated in a dyslexic child. Hmm. And so that child needs different synapses and connections in order to read efficiently. And one of the things that's interesting about dyslexia is I've never had a dyslexic student who didn't learn to read. And most of my students can read. If I give them a fluency test, they will test as well as any of their peers in general on that testing, but the effort that they put into the reading is different because they're using different pathways in the brain. So in that treatment, are you using like a specific tool? Like I remember way back when I was in the classroom that they were discovering like a different colored overlay was helping with kids where they were struggling visually. Right. It's not a, it's not that kind of tool is it's not a visual deficit. Okay. And that it has more to do with uh, how our brain works phonemically and phonologically. Okay. And the dyslexic student has a difficulty assigning a sound, mm-hmm. a letter shape, 
And they also have difficulty assigning a word sequence to a word. And so in the, in the new research, they talk a lot about mapping the brain to handle these two-dimensional symbols in three-dimensional ways, you know, and translating them from a flat piece of paper to a sound that you make or to something that your hand writes, which is, is on a two-dimensional piece of paper, but which is a very three-dimensional act. Mm-hmm. with your movement of your hand. There's a lot about the difference between two-dimensional learners and three-dimensional learners that I find very exciting about dyslexia, but I'm not qualified <laughs> to say a lot about it because I'm not a neurologist. But I will tell you that, you know, I've been doing this for a very, very long time, and I've yet to come across a student who didn't have a strong three-dimensional gift usually an exceptionally strong three-dimensional gift Mm. with dyslexia. They're musicians, artists, I mean, exceptional in these areas. Um, Builders, you know, architects, athletes. Mm. I find that when they go into college and they become marketing representatives, they can talk, they socially, they have a gift. And invariably, these uh, these very special gifts that they profess are linked to three-dimensional skills more than to the two-dimensional skills of writing and reading. Although dyslexic students love to learn in general, and I've had students who are so passionate about learning that they would go into literature and languages and the classics and things like that just because learning to read opened up that part of our world to them and they found it fascinating and wanted to become a part of it by learning it. Is there a specific type of therapy you do or that you would recommend over, I know you'd mentioned before we got in the call that you didn't want parents to be duped by there's so much on the internet. Can you kind of walk us through like what therapy, like the names of the therapies that you would say are the most helpful? Okay. Samuel Orton and Anna Gillingham were the pioneers in the field of dyslexia. And I say their names again because of their last names, Orton and Gillingham. And those are key. Uh, I was trained in an Orton-Gillingham-based program to work with these students. And we are still using the teaching procedures and ideas that Orton and Gillingham developed all those years ago. And so if you tell me that your student's taking, uh, is receiving therapy from MTA, or if you tell me my student is receiving therapy through Take Flight or Language Enrichment or Alphabetic Phonics, which program do you use? I tell you, I've been teaching this too long. I've been doing this too long to teach (laughs) one program. Okay. I use them all. They all have really wonderful parts, but they all have the same premise and the same basic principles for quality instruction for dyslexic students. And so the longer you teach, the more acquainted you become with uh, new ideas and new ways that are being incorporated into these programs to make them more effective or easier to implement or 
more widespread and you begin to realize that you can look at your student and listen to your student as you're teaching to them, watch your student while they're teaching them, and they'll tell you which pieces of which program they need Mm -hmm. and you incorporate them. The reason, uh, you know, I'm called a dyslexia tutor 90% of the time. I'm not a tutor. And it's fine if I'm called a tutor. All of my friends are in the field are called tutors. But I am a therapist in this sense that I have the ability to diagnose, assess, and prescribe as I work with my student. And that's the difference between a therapist, a specialist, and the classroom teacher. When we were talking, several people asked, if there were different types and the different severities. And so that falls into that, that it's not like, like you have said over and over that every child has their own learning profile, but even within dyslexia, there's a different flavor version. And so to be able to diagnose that and say, this child needs more of this program, this child needs more of this program, that's where you are specialized. Right, right. Because uh, I'll just give you one example that they talk about orthographic dyslexia, well, that's spelling. Uh, a primary uh, difficulty that is being manifest in the spelling area. Now, if you have trouble with spelling, it's not going to affect you just your spelling. It's going to affect your writing. It's going to affect your reading. It's going to affect all aspects of language-related development for you. But it's going to, the primary source is going to be through understanding how to straighten those letters and put them together in the right sequence and use them effectively. We teach dyslexic students the science of language. We don't use spelling lists where they memorize sequences of letters. There's a million words, over a million words actually now, in the English language. And the first thing I tell my students when I start working with them is, we're going to learn to read and write the words. There's a million. What do you think? And they immediately tell me, it's not going to work. I can't (laughs) memorize a million words. And that's what I want them to say. Yeah. Because when we teach them the science of the language, we're teaching them that there are only six syllable types in that million words. There's only 26 letters. There's only 44 sounds. And there's only five spelling rules. And if you know those and know four syllable division patterns, you are successful with 85% of a million words. And my older students can do the math. Right. And then we talk about how the words that are seem the most challenging for spelling are usually the ones that are in that 85% that are easiest to learn. And that gives the child hope and comfort. And it also packages what we're going to be doing in something that's comprehensible. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not like, oh, this is going to be this abstract thing that I'm going to be doing. And, and I tell the parents, I, I, if my parents are interested, and most of my parents will be, I tell them what I teach the kids and let them learn along with them as much as they want so that they can support the child with that. that that's what the schools need to do. They need professional development for the teachers, for the new learn things who are learning about dyslexia and to teach the students to recognize these learners and student schools are doing wonderful things with this. We have public school districts now that are adopting the training programs that therapists get as their primary way reading programs. 
Because that makes sense to me. If if that's how the kids with dyslexia learn and kids without dyslexia also would learn, why would we not just teach exactly. all kids the exactly. way that kind of like covers it instead of let's do this way that kids with dyslexia don't. So then they have to get extra therapy and be pulled out of the classroom, whatever it is. Like, exactly. It makes sense I, to me. Uh, for the parents, really important that they educate themselves. That's the first thing you start doing when you find out or you suspect that your child might have uh, a learning difference, especially dyslexia. You start reading and talking and asking questions. And there's lots of places that you can go to get accurate and important information about this topic that will help guide you in advocating for your child and determining how much advocating you need to do. Yeah. For your child. Like I said, I will provide those websites for you, but the Yale Center, I love the name of this, uh, <laughs> this place, the Yale Center for <laughs> Dyslexia and Creativity. Yes. It's a wonderful website with great resources to teach you about what we're talking about with dyslexia in terms that we, we can comprehend and understand and use. Um, the International Dyslexia Association is a great site to visit. To get information, they uh, give information about webinars that parents can access and conferences that parents can attend that provide information. And they have this wonderful little section called Fact Sheets. And even as a therapist, I access this little section frequently because I can print out the answer to a question. They have all fact sheets, brief fact sheets on all these topics that parents are concerned about and address questions that parents frequently ask. And it's a wonderful resource. The Nye House Education Center, which was where I trained in Houston, is a training center. But one thing that the Nye House Education Center does that not all centers do is they have a huge parent education program. Okay. And so if you get on there, you will find out about webinars. You will find out about books, you know, reading list. You can even email them and ask your questions and they will, or call them on the phone. And they have employees, therapists who just work with parents. That's awesome. And so that is a great resource. Scottish Ride is also a wonderful resource. And I will mention to you that there is a lot of expense yeah. that can be a part of all of this. But uh, Scottish Ride does testing and provides training on scholarship. Now, having said that. <laughs> There's quite a wait list, I think. But it, yes, a huge yeah. wait list. Yeah. But it's there. Yeah. Also, most of the therapists I know are also flooded. They're very, very busy, but they will have one or two scholarship students going all the time. Yeah. And so it's always worth it to ask, do you take a scholarship student? Do you have one right now? Um, Can I apply for that? And if you call a therapist that is full, you always ask, well, what do you recommend? I get, where do you recommend I look next? Do you know anyone? Right. Uh, that you would right. Try every network. Go from one network to the next network. And I'm sure like some of these sites and these training, they will have right. specific resources and I too. Because I didn't mention this. Uh, therapists that come out of the centers and the Orton-Gillingham program that I mentioned, 
have intensive training programs Hmm. and you do not want a therapist who hasn't completed the program. Got it. And you want them to have the certifications and the licenses that come along with that. Academic Language Therapy Association of America certifies academic language therapists. A certified academic language therapist account is qualified to work with dyslexic children. The state of Texas also licenses dyslexia therapists. And uh, most therapists will have both of those credentials. Some of them will be qualified instructors for certified academic language therapists or other certifications that they can receive. But you need to do your homework when you're checking for a therapist and make sure that they have completed their training program and that they're maintaining their continuing education for the program. Super helpful. Carrie, so thankful to have you and your expertise and just your comfort and kindness um, giving hope to moms who may need a little boost, relieving some of the weight and the burden, but empowering her. So thank you for doing that today. Um, she is not momming alone. And like you had said, you encourage your parents, find other parents who have been along this journey. Maybe they have um, older children that you will often as a therapist connect parents with new diagnosis, with parents who are willing, um, that are farther along to kind of talk them through and be a guide. So that's definitely moms. If you're new in this journey, can ask whatever therapist you find for parents farther along the journey that you could connect with. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Carrie. I really appreciate you coming and encouraging all the moms today. Thank you. I enjoyed visiting with you very much. So we have put Carrie's email in the show notes, which you can find at don'tmomalone.com. We also, Carrie created um, a website where she has a lot of her resources there that she's updating. So you can connect with her. I put that in the show notes. Thanks y'all for joining me today. Maybe you are new to the podcast. You've never listened to a Don't Mom Alone episode before. I just want you to know that we have a lot of different topics that we cover um, and a lot that have to do with the mom heart. We're not about telling you exactly how to parent, but helping support you as you do this job that feels overwhelming most of the time. My hope from what you just heard today is you would recognize that the term, the diagnosis of dyslexia is something that is just a part of who your child is. And it can be a part that makes them a person of higher character, a person of greater empathy and understanding that I know there are struggles that coincide with it because of the world and how it's crafted. It's not made specifically for your child. But I think that with what Carrie just shared, if we as parents can, instead of seeing it as something that's wrong, but see it as a difference that can be shaped and molded and that we can come alongside each other in that and become that safe space then we can see our children flourish and their self-esteem grow and they can use that 3D. I thought that was so interesting. I have one son who's incredibly gifted with three-dimensional thinking that they can use that for God's glory, that there are plans and purposes that he's he has put in advance for them to do and that we could 
walk alongside our children. I know it can be overwhelming when you think of having to learn and advocate, and I know that God will equip you with just the right next person. I would ask for you to come to him and say, God, show me who is the right therapist for us. Who Who is that family just a little bit farther ahead? You'd be surprised that the stories that will intersect when you start reaching out and asking for that guidance and for you not to do this alone. I'm going to pray over us. God, I thank you that you have made each of us so uniquely. I thank you that this world is full of your creativity. I pray, Lord, that you would help teachers and parents and therapists to guide uh, children with dyslexia to be able to use the brain that you so carefully crafted to absorb and learn the things that you want them to learn so that they can be the men and women that you've created them to be. I pray that we could be good friends, that we could be good peers, that we could kindly um, support one another with hope and compassion. And um, I thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. That is our ever-present help, moment to moment, that we don't have to get too far ahead of ourselves, but we can stay fully present with you, guiding us to the next right thing. In Jesus' name, amen. And thanks to all of you who went on iTunes, took the time to leave a review. I was looking over them. I'm so encouraged. Such a kindness and just grace. So thank you for taking time to do that. That helps point more people to the show, especially in a time when there are so many podcasts out there that you would help them with something that's helped you. Also, wanted to let you know that over on Patreon, our Don't Mom Alone insiders, we are doing something new. <laughs> I had a little whim and I threw out this idea and they thought it was a great one. So what I'm going to do is we're, I'm going to talk with one of the patrons on a video chat and we'll record it so that the rest of the patrons can watch it later. We're just going to talk through what's going on in her mom life and I'll do my best to just be a friend to listen and process her emotions and kind of mentor her and point her to resources she may need based on uh, these interviews that I've done over the years. And so anyway, if you want to join us over on Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash don't mom alone. You become an insider and that's something new we're doing. Also, Bruce and I have done the Strength Finder series. We have one more left. We're going to focus in on strengths and how they inform your career, ministry, direction that a lot of times we focus on skills and he is a strong advocate of looking at your wiring and figuring out how God made you to figure out what you need to do next. So join us there. And then next week on the podcast, I'm inviting my friend Mo Isom Aiken on the show. She is a mom to three, almost four young kids. And we're going to talk about intimacy with God. And what does that look like as a mom with lots of little ones around? So join us back here then. All right. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, 
God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.